I don't know about you, but I like thematic worships. Especially whenever you do a wet theme and you can dress wet clothing kind of kind of attire. I thought about what am I going to preach next summer. I think I'll preach on hell and we can all dress for summer again. Just a thought. Just a thought. Um, not exactly one of those crowd-pleasing messages or series, but uh, something to think about. And, you know, I've been praying through this whole, whole series and going up to this series thinking about, I want us all, God, just drench us, just make us wet with Your Spirit. I didn't literally mean rain for today, but hopefully it kind of added to it. I'll be probably more specific next time with God in my prayer life. Uh, but anyway, take your Bibles. Be finding the, the book of Acts. We're going to be there in just a little bit, but we're going to be talking about a particular manifestation today that does not appear anywhere in the Old Testament. It doesn't appear anywhere in the Old Testament. It only appears in the New Testament in the church age. And it distinguishes between the Old and New Testament. It gives a distinguishing element that is clearly in the, Old, is clearly in the New Testament. And some of that today we're going to kind of pull apart the Old and the New Testament just very briefly but understanding what, how God moves is absolutely vital to, to walking with God. One of the greatest Bible studies I've ever read. I've read it at least four times or gone through the Bible study at least four or five times. Uh, anytime I make a big decision is experiencing God. I always go through that. Henry Black would be very much worth the time. Thirteen-week commitment, you go through it. God just kind of kind of comes alive and you begin to see God in His will. The subtitle is Knowing and Doing the Will of God and that was just absolutely a wonderful thing. And one of the things he tells you in there is look for where God is moving and join Him where He's moving. So find out where He's working. Well, in the, in the, in the Old Testament, He works in, in, in one particular way. And in the New Testament in which we live, we live in this New Testament church age, He works in, in, in a totally different way. Well, not totally different, but in a, in a distinctly different way. Eleven different times in the New Testament is this phrase at least mentioned or referred to. There are four powerful, influential people who speak directly to it. Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, Peter, and Paul. These are some people in, uh, that have a lot of influence over us as we read the Scriptures. These, these people have a lot of influence on us as we look at them. These four people, at least 11 different times, refer to this one manifestation that we're speaking of. What is this manifestation? Churches have divided over it. Denominations have formed over it. The Wesleyan Church, for example, believe it's an, an actual process of sanctifying. That you go through a process, and as, as you go through this process of sanctification, that you come out on the other side and you experience this manifestation. A charismatic church would consider it the second blessing or the meaning for the proof of your salvation, that you're really not saved until you have gone through this manifestation in a, more of a charismatic slant to it. Bible churches or Baptist churches would believe that this, this manifestation or this act of God is actually what God does in that regeneration of, of our spirits. I talked about last week being born again. Well, that regeneration, that, being, that rebirth experience, this is when it happens. It's what I hold to. It's what I, it's what I see the, the Scripture is teaching. This manifestation is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is this manifestation that happens inside of us that, that really only happens once in life. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a manifestation that is it's really kind of hard. Again, denominations have been formed. Churches have divided over putting definition and understanding to this. This is my definition for it. You can jot it down if you want to and you're taking notes. The baptism of the Holy Spirit marks the beginning 
of a divine intimate indwelling. It marks the beginning of a divine intimate indwelling. Very key phrase right there. You might underscore those words. Intimate indwelling of God. And the ultimate life transformation process of a follower of Christ. God starts something on this baptism of the Holy Spirit's manifestation and experience that happens inside the life of a new believer at the point in time he gives his or her life to Christ. And from that point on, at that point, God begins to dwell, live inside every believer. And at that point, it begins a journey with God, always with us, always working in us, always moving inside of us, always speaking to us, when we're listening anyway, always communing with us that He will continue this work until the day of Christ Jesus, Philippians says. Until Christ comes again, God's Spirit will be transforming us, making, doing, rearranging, reprioritizing, resetting us. It's a non-reproducible event. That happens. It occurs at a point in time of salvation when a believer enters into a course, a new road, a new map, a new journey, a new, a, a new direction in their life. And from that point forward, God's Spirit is living with them at every turn, at every pothole, at every detour, at every junction in life, at every intersection of life. You have a traveling companion who's more than just a traveling companion. He becomes the navigator of your life when you allow Him to. And it's not only that you have a spirit, it's that you actually have the God of all the universe living in you, helping you, guiding you, steering you. Now, that just needs to sink in a little bit. The mere fact and reality that I might have God living inside of me, what would that mean? What what should that do? How should that... Change? How should that rearrange my life? If I am saying I'm following Christ and Christ then turns around and baptizes me, immerses me in, in His Spirit, fills me with His Spirit, wow, what difference should that make in my life? This is what 1 Corinthians 12:13 says. This is by one Spirit we were all baptized. Underscore the word one Spirit. Underscore the word all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, all have been made to drink of one Spirit. Jesus Christ, His Holy Spirit, is the greatest unifying factor in the universe. It should break down the barriers of social economic barriers, educational barriers, race barriers, or any other barrier. We become one in God, one in the universe, one in His all His creation, Because we have a relationship with God through Jesus that's been finalized and completed by His Spirit. When we are baptized by His Spirit, He's speaking of one baptism that happens and it's a transforming event. Just as Jesus did not begin in the manger in Jerusalem, neither does the Holy Spirit begin on the day of Pentecost. That's called modalism. Basically, God has one mode and then He changes to another mode and He changes to another mode. That's not what we're teaching. That's not what we believe. We believe that God is three in one. He's always existed as these three persons in one person all rolled up into one. I can't put my arms around it and don't even... I mean, you can try and I'm going to keep trying, but I I don't understand it. 
It's kind of like a, somebody has compared it to an apple. An apple has three parts. It has a core. It has the, the good part, the juicy part, and then has the skin. You can't separate any part of that out and it, and it still be a complete apple. Neither can you take God and put him over there or Jesus and put him over there and the Holy Spirit and put him over there. They're all one and they're all together. And the Holy Spirit did not begin then. The Holy Spirit has been... In fact, you can read the second verse in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, and you can find where, G, where the Holy Spirit was actually a part of the creation process. The Holy Spirit has always been. He is that person, that element of God that comes inside of us and lives inside of us. Now, here, here's something very important. Here's, here's a changing point, though. If I can go back and refer back to last week's message, those of you who journeyed with us last week, and that initial get wet message... And the whole idea is that God's Spirit wants to live inside of us, but He has not always lived inside of us as we know it today. In fact, you remember back to the passage that I read last week in John chapter 7, verse 39, Jesus was saying, He said, the Spirit has not, was not yet given. So the Spirit was not yet given. Now what does that mean? It means He hadn't fully come in the way that He was going to come on a special day. Jesus always talked about going away and sending somebody. It hadn't happened yet. So there's a, there's, a, there's a yet event that's going to have to happen, that's going to happen, that hasn't happened yet, and He's saying, just get ready, it's going to happen. And now here's the difference, because again, I must say, the Holy Spirit did not begin in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. He, he, he's always been, and He's always been working, He's always been doing awesome things throughout the earth, but it was different. Jot this verse down, or it's in your notes, I think. John fourteen seventeen says it like this, that the Spirit of truth, you know Him, for He abides with you. Present tense. He is abiding with you, right now, with you, okay? Long beside you. I am standing beside this baptistry. You are sitting beside your spouse or beside a friend, okay? The Holy Spirit worked along beside people in the present tense at that time and at that moment. You know Him for He abides with you and will be future tense in you. See, there was a time when God's Spirit would walk beside Moses when He was in the, when he was in the, in the desert and there would be a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And wherever they went, He was with them. But there's a difference between being with them and being in them. Can you appreciate that? There's a difference. It's probably the most intimate way that God could ever be connected to us and meshed into our life is not just merely be walking beside, but is actually to be in, become a part of. When you think about Moses in the desert and the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, you think about whenever Daniel was in the fiery furnace and, and they looked inside the fiery furnace and they didn't see three, they saw four. It was Shadrach, Meshach, uh, excuse me, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. And now all of a sudden they saw a fourth man in there. Who was the fourth man? God was with them. He was with them on that, on that journey and, and on that experience. You think about David whenever he committed the sin of sleeping with Bathsheba. And David, David was able to write later on in life, where can I go from your spirit? When I go to the depths, you're there. When I go to the mountains, you're there. Wherever I am, you're there. See, the reality is, is that you can never get away from God. Even in the Old Testament, He was with them. He worked with them. He 
He provided for them. But, but here's the great news that we come to today that, that Moses could not share this message and Daniel could not share this message and David could not declare this message among the kingdom and Solomon couldn't write it in the Psalms. What we can talk about it today is that God is no longer wanting to be with us. He's wanting to be in us. And that's a baptism experience that happens at the point of, of a spiritual rebirth when His Spirit comes and lives inside of us. But again, you notice in that verse that he's talking about he's been with you, but he, he will one day be in you. He got the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 is where we'll read today. And Acts is a great little book. Luke is a great writer. Luke gives us more. Luke is the writer of the book. And he gives us more history and more details about the life of Christ and what happens in the early church than any other book. Okay, He's just very thorough. So if you want to read the writings of of Luke, go back and read the Gospel of Luke, and then you'll notice right where Gospel of Luke lets off, the book of Acts picks up. And the thing is, is that he's writing this letter uh, to an individual named Theophilus. We're going to call him Theo for short. So he's writing this letter to Theo, and I appreciate Theo keeping this letter in such a way that we're able to now go back and look at it and read from it and study it and, and learn from it. But he writes this, again, just to help Theo in his early faith, in his early beginning of his faith, to help him along. So let's begin reading in verse, verse 1 uh, of chapter 1 of Acts. It says, the, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So the very first account that he's referring to is the Gospel of Luke. He says, the first account that I wrote, it was about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up into heaven. After he said by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. So he's kind of giving the, hey, remember what I wrote in my last letter. Let me now pick up from where I left off, and here it is. To these he also presented himself alive after suffering for many convincing proofs appearing to them uh, over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now don't forget that Jesus didn't just die and rise from the dead and then go all the way all of a sudden into heaven. He lived on the earth at least for 40 days. He walked on the earth. He was walking through doors. I mean, what a cool moment. Jesus is not there. Boom, he walks through the door. He's there. Thomas was able to go up and, and to look and to see and to maybe feel and touch the, the thorn pierced, uh, excuse me, the nail pierced hands of, of, of Jesus. And, and there was just awesome moments and over 500 people saw him in one setting. So don't let anybody say that there weren't eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. There were many, hundreds and hundreds of people who saw Jesus, heard Jesus, experienced Jesus. And so here it is, he comes to this end, and now, and now again, Luke is, is telling us what happened, gathering them together, because it's, this 40-day period is just about up. And he starts making these words, he's gathering them all together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. Don't leave, stay right here, but to wait for the Father for what the Father promised. Again, remember that future tense event that was going to happen that we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Here, here he's going to start talking about it. Which he said, You heard of me, you've heard from, of me, from me, excuse me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What a statement. Historians tell us that it was ten days later that Jesus ascended. Within that 10-day period, Jesus ascends and the Holy Spirit comes in an amazing way. 
And when He comes, He begins to do some amazing work inside of the lives of the people. you got the book of Acts that, I don't know how your Bible says it, and again, these titles were put in by man a long time after the writers, but mine says the Acts of the Apostles. Some Bibles say the Acts of the Holy Spirit. I think it's a better better representation of what goes on in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a working of God's Holy Spirit. And I want us to look at today two different baptisms that, that are spoken of here in Scripture. Two baptisms that we should all dive into. Real quickly, number one is, is that, that the baptism I just read about is the spiritual baptism that marks the beginning of a new life in Christ. Spiritual baptism that marks the beginning of a new life in Christ. And listen, we're going to talk about two baptisms, but you can't get these baptisms out of order. You never see that modeled in Scripture. You never see that presented in Scripture. You've got to get these baptisms in the right order. And the first baptism is a spiritual baptism. Because remember, if you remember what I said last week, we are spiritual beings living a human existence. We're not humans living, experiencing a spiritual being. Okay? We are, we are spiritual And so we've got to, first of all, before we take care of anything else, take care of our spiritual side. And the spiritual side says you must be born again. Again, last week's message. But the point today is is that the first baptism that we experience is the baptism of the Holy Spirit who comes upon us. Look what it says in John chapter 14, verse 20. He says, In that day you will know that uh, that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. On that day, I will no longer be with you. I will be in you. I will be a part of you. Most intimate times of a husband and wife experience is when they are in one another. Experiencing one another. That's an awesome knowledge. In fact, the word know in the Hebrew, sexually is the same word to know God spiritually. Are you in God? Is God in you? Is there an intimate relationship between you and God that goes way beyond religion? Listen, if it's just about religion, you're missing it. So many people have been looking for religious experiences. Many people are looking for a, a, a church to join. I say, first of all, have you been born of the Spirit? Have you been baptized in the Spirit of God living inside of you? beginning that new birth process. Now, skip over. Let's go to that day that he kept referring to, that promise of a future event. Acts chapter 2. Skip over to chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1 says it like this. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared... To them, tongues of fire, distinguishing themselves, and they rested on them, one, uh, each one of them, or excuse me, one, each one of them, yes. And they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak in tongues, and the Spirit uh, was giving them utterance. And there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, a crowd came together. And bewildered because each, the key phrase here, each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Now, I really don't have time, and a lot of Baptists will stay away from this passage. They'll kind of skip over it. And they'll kind of move past it. But I tell you what, you know what? If you, you can't do that. 
I think it's the proper understanding of it all and seeing not only one event and interpreting one event, it's seeing all of Scripture in light of that event. It's seeing my life in light of Scripture. All of Scripture. It's seeing your life inside of all of Scripture. It's not a one-time experience. It's not, and I do not believe here as this, as this experience in the book of Acts is the only time you see this demonstration of tongues. Now, the interesting thing is, is that this demonstration of tongues, notice that it was not some ecstatic, charismatic utterance. It says there that every man heard in his own language. It was known languages. They weren't speaking some heavenly language. They were speaking a known language. Everyone heard in his own language. See, what was going on, Pentecost was a rallying holiday in the Jewish calendar that would bring people from all around that were Jewish believers that they would come to, to, to the temple. And on that day, there would be a celebration. So you'd have all these different languages present there. But God was so awesome when he did this. He knew the calendar of men. He wanted his, his gospel known to all the world. And so what he does is he orchestrates it that the Spirit comes on a day when there's in, all these international travels, travelers in Excuse me, in Jerusalem. And then His Spirit comes. And then they're able to speak in languages that they didn't know before. But God, and instead of letting this message turn and begin to focus on the gifts of the Spirit, let's focus more on the gift of the Spirit. Because so many, again, churches begin to chase on a tangent to focus on that is you've got to speak in that tongue. Listen, the book of Acts is about giving us a description, not a prescription, okay? It gives us a description of how God worked, and He worked on that day in that way. I wish I, I prayed for the gift of tongues many times in my life. When I was in, in Zambia, living in Zambia, I prayed that God would give me the tongues of Tonga so that I could speak Tonga. i got more stories to tell you about my stumbling over myself and them laughing. I needed the gift of tongues of Tonga, but I didn't ever get it. But does it mean I didn't have the gift of the Spirit? Does it mean I was not baptized? We're not going to go there any further other than to say this. That is a charismatic tangent. That is not a biblical interpretation. God's Spirit moved on these people. It was God coming to live instead of beside them in them. And as He came to live in them, He began to manifest Himself out of them. Yes, this was a, is an amazing, miraculous event. God continues to work in amazing, amazing, miraculous ways. This baptism is a very unique baptism. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6. It says, There is one body and one spirit, just as we were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So it's not anything. We need to understand this as a very spiritual experience that happens in our life. Now, your baptism of the Holy Spirit is not greater than mine, and mine is not greater than yours. It is an event that God comes and lives inside of us, and He is dwelling in us. That is awesome. And if you don't know and aren't living in an awareness of God's Spirit, Living inside of you. I just lost my mic. <sighs> I don't know. I'll keep talking. If you don't know God's Spirit living inside of you, listen up. Get to know God. Get to know His Spirit. Begin to experience Him on a spiritual level. Here's a life principle for you. Hey, it came back on. Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate that. 
Just in time. All right? Here, here's a life principle for you. Jot it down. Your spiritual baptism is something God's Spirit does in you apart from any action of yours. God, in a service like this for many of you, and maybe, listen very carefully, because maybe for you it's today, God's Spirit comes and He touches you. And He says, I want you to be my child. He speaks to you in a spiritual voice. And you hear Him in a, with spiritual ears. And He calls you to be His. And when you say yes to that voice, yes to Jesus, I will follow you, you're not seeking the religious experience. You're not speaking some ecstatic utterance. You are seeking an ex- a relationship with God then He comes and lives inside of you. Spiritual baptism is something God's Spirit does to you apart from you. You can't muster it up. You can't learn it in school. Any catechism can't teach you this. It is a relationship with God that God instigates and you say yes to. That's it. It's a spiritual birth. It's a spiritual baptism that takes place beginning your new life in Christ. Here's the second baptism. We'll focus the rest of the service on this baptism. But, 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 but not because it's more important than the first one. Because what did I say? Unless you've experienced the first baptism, you, the, the second baptism means nothing. It must come first. So the second baptism is a physical baptism that marks the, the outward living of, 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 of Christ in you. That you are going to live for Christ. The outward living of a life for Christ. Now there's been an evolutionary process through baptism. I don't know if you realize that. It wasn't until the 5th century, really, historians tell us, that infant baptism even came into vogue. So, so an infant baptism is, is really something that is, is, is post-New Testament church. It wouldn't even happen in the, in the New Testament. Again, studying more on baptism, um, Hippolytus in, in 215 A.D. was describing how the Romans baptized people. And once you became a believer, once you had that first spiritual baptism, before you ever had a physical baptism, you had to go through three years of learning. Now, this is what one historian said about, about it. He said, he or she first turned toward the west and then towards the east and, and then, toward, uh, excuse me, then towards the east to confess Christ. They were repeated with anointing oil, the symbol of strength. Once at last the naked candidate, talk about increasing or decreasing your baptism attendance, was anointed from the head to toe, then oil as if, uh, for bathing, the candidate entered into the front, climbing in and stepping down until knee-deep while the deacon pressed the candidate's head down into the pool. Again, an evolutionary process that I'm thankful that we don't always do everything that's in history. You'll see some churches, they'll baptize people forward. They'll have other churches that baptize people backwards three times, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Different baptisms, it's an evolutionary process to a point. And I'm not real big on, you know, all of, all of that. I think immersion is absolutely the way how it's done. It needs to have clear symbols. Now there is one, I want to show you this one video clip that, that was on, maybe you, you all saw it on television. It's a different form of baptism. I don't necessarily see it's a biblical model, but I want to show it to you anyway. It's off the internet, so it's not the best quality. Guys, go ahead and roll that video.
cannonball baptism, I can't see a lot of biblical connection to it. Uh, unless you're the stone that rolled away and Jesus came out of the tomb. I don't know. That's the only thing I can think of trying to figure out how that one's going to fit in. But I don't think that's exactly the picture of the physical baptism. Romans chapter 6, 4 gives us a great picture. Therefore, we have all been buried with Him through baptism. Buried with Him so that as Christ raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we so we too might walk in newness of life. The baptism is a statement of what I say. First of all, spiritual baptism marks that, that beginning of a life in Christ. But that, that second baptism is a statement to the world that you're following Christ. That you're living for Christ. There's a difference in you. There's a difference in the way that you're going to live out your life. And there's a reprioritization of what's going on. If you're a big football fan, you're familiar with the name Pat Summerall. I'm a Cowboys fan. I always used to watch Pat Summerall on Sunday afternoons when he used to uh, be the commentator for the Cowboys. But at the age of 60, and they say you're never too, you're never too old to have that first spiritual baptism. Neither are you too old to have that second spiritual baptism. Pat Summerall was an alcoholic living the fast life of being a sports announcer on CBS football. And he made this statement when he became a believer at 60. He says, I went down into the water, and when I came up, it was like a 40-pound weight had been lifted off of me. I have, I have a happier life, a healthier life, and a more positive feeling about life than ever before. When you experience that spiritual rebirth, the spiritual baptism. Now, was it the, his physical baptism that really took the guilt off? No, but it was such a... They're so married together. They're so married together that, that, yes, he was reborn again. He had the spiritual rebirth apart from his baptism. You've got examples in Scripture, people being going to heaven without having a physical baptism experience. But there's something about when you can at 60 or whenever that age is, 6 or 60, that when you have it, it is a putting on of that wedding ring when you're saying, I'm married and I'm excited about that. I'm married to Christ and I'm excited about that. God's Spirit lives inside of me. I want to close because I want to spend the rest of our time focusing on the baptisms. But I want to ask you two big questions. However, these two big questions have a couple of follow-up questions that I don't want you to miss. The first big question is always going to be the first big question. You can't miss the first big question. This is the question. Have you been spiritually baptized by God's Spirit coming to live inside of you? Can you say from your heart of hearts that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Remember I said last week, if you're not ready to die, you're really not ready to live. If you don't have God's Spirit inside of you, then you're just playing religious games here today. Have you been spiritually born Again, if yes, I'll say the second question for a moment. If you say no, my question to you is now, why not? Why not? He wants to come and live inside of you, not just be around you. Why not? If, if yes, let's move to the second question. Here it is. Have you been physically baptized as a statement of your personal life, long commitment to follow Christ? Have you been physically baptized? Because I think it falls right in suit whenever the first African who ever came to know Christ, he was a eunuch from Ethiopia. 
Philip climbs into his chariot and begins to share the gospel from the book of Isaiah with him. And they come upon a body of water and the Ethiopian eunuch said, what hinders me? What keeps me from being baptized? And he begins to share Jesus with him. He accepts Christ. He has the first spiritual birth. And then physically they get into the water and he has the spiritual, the physical baptism. So the question today is why not? See, the first baptism, there's nothing you can do apart from just saying yes to Jesus. I mean, He just comes inside of you. Here's a second final life principle. The physical baptism is something you consciously do because you love Jesus and want the world to know it. You know, we can debate all day long about whether or not people should be baptized if they were baptized as children. Let's not even go there. If you haven't been spiritually born, that's the most important thing. If you haven't had a spiritual baptism... It's the most important thing. After that, are you ready to be physically baptized as a statement? And I come today realizing that some of you have come to see somebody be baptized. Some of you have come today and you've never given your life to Christ. You've never had the first baptism. And today, you're ready to do that. You know what? Let's make it real simple. Say yes to Jesus. Just say, Jesus, in your heart right now, just say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I'm tired of being religious. I don't want you beside me. I want you in me. I want you to walk with me, be with me, sleep with me, dream with me, eat with me, be with me, God. Be in me, God. Through Jesus Christ's death on the cross, I give my life to you. You can say that. You can be spiritually baptized today. Will the lights blink brighter and will, will there be lightning bolts? Not necessarily you will have the Spirit of God living inside of you. Then my next question to you, are you ready to be baptized? Think, are you kidding? I didn't bring any change of clothes. Today would be a great day. Go wet for Jesus to the restaurant. I don't know. We got a towel. You can use mine after I use it. But I mean, uh, you, I got a towel. Seriously, I mean, would there anybody be in this room that has already, or maybe today for the first time, is spiritually baptized and say, hey, I need to be Physically baptized. And I would encourage you, if you belong to another church, that you should talk with your pastor and get connected there. But if you're kind of like just wondering on this journey out there, then there it is. If you've been spiritually baptized first. Don't get them out of order. Don't get them out of order. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank You for this time. For the simple truth of Your Word. And the awesome promise that Your Spirit wants to come and live inside of us. Wants to baptize us, immerse us, saturate us. And then, Lord, as a testimony of our commitment to You, we, Lord, today physically put on our wedding rings a baptism to say, I'm married to Jesus. I'm His. I'm Yours from this day forth and forever. Lord, if You would lay that on people's hearts today that wasn't even, that are not even in line for baptism, I pray that, Lord, You would now give them the courage to follow through. Lord, we bless You and we thank You for this time. In Jesus' name, Amen.